Hello friends, I am Manuel and this is Spirituality and Science. Science is not an alien invasion, nor did it appear to us in divine revelation. It is a process developed independently by many civilizations that have existed throughout history. When talking about science, one tends to automatically think of the eurocentric scientific systems of which what we call Western science is higher. However, science was neither born in Europe nor developed by a single group of people once in the history of mankind. The word science only began to be used in the 19th century and the scientific method is attributed to the time known as the scientific revolution between the 16th and the 17th centuries. That's what we talked about in the previous episode when I commented on Yuval Noah Harari's opinion that it should actually be called the Skeptic Revolution instead, for before the 16th century, those who studied the different science called themselves naturalistic philosophers, and their methods and theories were very close to what we know today as pseudoscience, actually. Let us remember that the scientific method consists of observing, formulating hypotheses, conducting experiments or studies with mechanisms to rule out mental biases, and finally submitting the results to the judgment of other experts as well as to the confirmation of the experiments by other teams. Well, all that is in itself complex, tedious and expensive, and it was even more difficult four or five centuries ago nor were there the methods of observation and experimentation that we have today, nor did everyone have access to scientific publications as we do today. However, people have immediate needs. The sick had to be cared for, bridges had to be erected, roads had to be built, tools, fertilizer, etc. had to be made somehow. Therefore, There was no possibility of just waiting for feasibility studies to be completed or the hypotheses formulated and the king to approve the funds to develop a new medicine or a new building material. Then it was necessary to make use of what was already known clearly enough and try the new ideas that were taken with all the possible care. One can easily imagine a 16th century farmer, for example, seeing his crops being spoiled by some pest, uh, something unusual, trying different mixtures of substances available to him and try to control the pest. What could he possibly have at his fingertips? Maybe urea from animal urine, lime from limestone, salt, tobacco smoke, etc. Well, some of those substances may have further complicated the problem and the farmer ended up ruining the crop. It is possible that the farmer may have gotten lucky with some substance. Um, let's say that chili, as an example, turned out to be a good way to control that particular pest. It cannot be said that the grower had done science, but what he did was part of the scientific process because the knowledge that he obtained did not stop there. The farmer learned that if little white spots appeared on the potato stem, Then he could sprinkle chili, paper, chili pepper, and within a few days, those spots may have faded and the plant gets healed. It is also very likely that in conversations with other farmers, our farmer had shared his findings and handed out the recipe. 
Other farmers would probably try the formula when they were presented with the same problem, the same symptoms, and thus, little by little, a chain of experimentation would have been formed in which there could be hundreds of farmers trying the recipe at different altitudes with different types of potatoes, different varieties of chili, against different species of fungi of parasites. Many would have managed to reproduce the results of the first farmer, but others may not, either because they used a different variety of chili pepper or because the pest they faced was not sensitive to that spice, etc. In many cases, within months, the farmer's knowledge would have already became vox populi and thousands of growers across the region could have been applying the same technique, some of them being more successful than others, of course. However, unlike urea, which contains an acid and, if handled correctly, can serve as fungicide, but if used incorrectly, it kills the plant without contemplation, then chili pepper is much more venial and, in most cases, the worst that can happen is that it attracts more bugs instead of scaring them away. Therefore, it is very plausible that the tradition of using chili pepper as a pesticide has been much more successful than that of using urea with lime, for example. As it happens, urea is much more effective in certain cases to kill some pests, but surely many cultivators would have had spoken uh, pests of that technique because they probably saw how it ruined their crops at some point. And this would have stifled the possibility that this practice in particular would have spread. The chili pepper, on the other hand, was much more prone to the placebo effect. In many cases, it would have happened that the, after applying the ground chili, the plague of the plant had disappeared on its own or has passed to an inner layer of the plant, giving the appearance that it was healing or simply nothing changed. But the farmer, eager for the recipe to work, had given a good testimony and this way helping the chili pepper technique to go viral. Note that I'm not saying that chili pepper does not work at all because In fact, it probably does. In Mexico and many parts of Latin America, natural pesticide based on chili is still marketed today. It is possible that for some pests of certain varieties of certain plants, chili is the perfect solution. But it is also true that even if it does not help, it most likely does not hurt either. Working in many cases, nothing more than a placebo. However, This was the science that we had in ancient times, and it is the social way of doing science. Someone makes an observation and builds an hypothesis, experiments, and shares their results with the community. The other experts try the experiment and confirm or reject their results. From there, we can infer that science is the natural product of the evolution of human knowledge. The knowledge-building techniques used by all ancient cultures So the seed for what we now call science. What the scientific method actually does is to speed up the process dramatically and to try and avoid the mistakes introduced by our mental biases. In spite of this, formal science has had many failures and ancestral science many successes as well. It is a fact that many ancient cultures that were methodical and disciplined such as the Mayans the Toltecs, the Incas, the Muiscas, many other people from Asia and the Middle East, 
developed important advances in astronomy, mathematics, biology, chemistry, and many other fields. But I'm also going to tell you some examples of scientific theories that back in the day were considered true, in some cases as recently as in the last century, but today are totally debunked. Well, then let's do it as a top five to give this uh, YouTube-esque air. At number five, we have a story that comes from Carl Sagan's Cosmos series and something that I personally like a lot, the Mars Canali. In 1877, the Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiaparelli reported the discovery of what he called Canali on Mars, or canals should have rather be translated as ducts. At the time, photography did not exist, so astronomical observation was done by looking for hours through a telescope, uh, waiting for a moment where the air was still, there were no clouds, and so drawing an image of what was observed. In addition, the telescope that Schiaparelli used had an aperture of only 15 centimeters, so what he actually saw was a reddish ball of a couple of centimeters in diameter with shadows and shapes that looked like oceans and continents. The reported canali did not actually refer to pipelines, but lines that appeared straight and that Schiaparelli related to coastlines. The fact is that other researchers of the time, intrigued by the canali, made their own observations with the same limitations and also saw the same lines. One of them was the American astronomer Percival Lowell, who was fascinated by the idea of Martian pipelines and from the precarious observations, he concluded that they must be irrigation canals built by a Martian race to transport water extracted from the polarized caps of Mars. As Carl Sagan correctly said, observation, barely anything can be seen. Conclusion, there is an advanced extraterrestrial race on Mars. Of course, the evolution of optical technology made it possible to see more clearly the Schiaparelli formations and the Canali theory was left behind, although not the fascination with Martians that even today continues to accompany us. In position number four, we have ether. This is a compound that has had several incarnations. In medieval science, it was also called quintessence, and it was said to be the substance that filled the space above the celestial vault. All the time it was considered that any type of transmission of something, such as light, heat, or gravity, required a medium to propagate. Even Newton used the concept of ether to fill in the gaps between his observations and the strict mathematical rules that he used. Because of the elevated or subtle nature of ether, it was also surrounded by mystical connotations, such as that it could be produced by elixirs with medicinal alchemy or with a philosopher's stone. Between 1881 and 1887, unsuccessful experiments were created to detect the ether, and these results were confirmed with the special theory of relativity that confirmed that light does not require any medium to propagate. At number three, we have phlogiston, which was postulated in 1667 by the German physicist Johann Becker. Phlogiston was believed to be an element containing combustible bodies 
and to be released during combustion. With this element, an attempt was made to explain the phenomena of combustion and corrosion, which now we know together as oxidation. In the number two, we have phrenology. Probably some of you have heard of this discipline, which back in the 19th century became famous and which stated that the shape and characteristics of the human school served to predict mental characteristics. If you look at the theories that we have seen so far, you will notice that they all stem from a genuine interest in finding the truth and that in some cases they came close to achieving it. Phrenology is yet another example as it laid the foundations for the study of the brain. It proposed for the first time the idea that different areas in the brain were dedicated to different functions or areas in the mental process. The difference with current neuroscience is that instead of encephalograms and MRAs, phrenologists simply touch the patient's head to find lumps or marks, took measurements and diagrammed the shape of the patient's school. Phrenologist theories led to the incorrect identification of guidelines by which mental pathologies such as schizophrenia, what they call hysteria in women, and even the propensity to commit crimes or intellectual capacity could be identified. Today, we understand that the genetic characteristics of the individuals of certain populations can make certain forms, shapes of the school prevail in them. For this reason, it was common that characteristics associated with insanity, lack of intelligence and tendency to crime were frequently associated with morphological characteristics of black people, indigenous or mixed race individuals, becoming one um, of the tools that the Nazis, for example, used to uh, call out those different races as inferior. Despite this, phrenology was a discipline accepted almost everywhere in the world, medical science, and even uh, as evidence in court. That's testimony of how bad we can get even trying to do science. And finally, at the top of the list, Number one, now the bank scientific theory, is the miasma theory. This theory indicated that many diseases such as cholera, chlamydia, or plague were caused by miasma, a word that comes from the Greek and means pollution. It was also known as bad air. In, in any case, epidemics were believed to be originated from miasma, emanating from decomposing organic matter. Even today, many shamans and healers consider miasma to exist and it is associated with superstitious diseases like evil eye, the dead man's eyes, and other popular culture evils. Later, at some point, I will try to do an episode about superstitious healing and schematic medicine, which is a topic that I'm very passionate about and which I was very close during my journey in ancestrality. Today, we know that the mentioned diseases come from different sources, viruses, bacteria, fungi, etc., but then again, it was the knowledge of the time and also a good start to understanding that decomposing matter could be unhealthy. In the Middle Ages, many doctors and midwives went from handling corpses or cleaning toilets to attending deliveries. It was no surprise that in many communities, there was a mortality rate of mothers in childbirth up to 1 in 10. The miasma theory could have helped out to spread the culture of hand-washing, which began to popularize in the mid-19th century. In fact, 
In those years, asking a doctor to wash their hands was seen as an offense because uh, the popular religious connotation of hand or foot washing was seen as an act of humility, which had to be done voluntarily. Doctors quite often saw themselves, themselves as some of the most important people in their community, so they greatly opposed against washing their own hands. The discovery of germs after 1880 gave the final push to the necessity of hygiene in the medical practice and eradicated the miasma theory from science, not from popular culture though. As we see some of the theories abandoned by science, still a Accompany us in the form of superstitions or alternative beliefs. I have not mentioned astrology or homeopathy in this episode because it seems to me that they merit a more extensive conversation. But it is evident that both disciplines have also been put in the catalog of pseudoscience, which we could also define as bodies of knowledge that have not passed the scientific method, not necessarily that they are totally useless. Technically, there may be certain conditions or diseases in which homeopathy is effective, and there may be some interaction between he heavenly bodies and people, but this has not yet been proven at all, at least not in the way popular astronomy presents itself or, or, or medicine. Now, the phenomenon of leaving behind certain beliefs in itself is counterintuitive and difficult for the human mind. We don't wake up one day with the decision of thinking differently than what we thought day before. Not even a scientist can do that. What science allows us is a method of escaping from the prison of our own mind. It gives us the possibility of moving forward since our minds tend to keep us tied to what we already know, what we are used to. For people outside the scientific community, it is surely tempting to think that the theories of the canali, phlogiston, miasma, ether, or phrenology were abandoned by science just to give way to theories that supported the interests of some powerful minorities. Maybe those who wanted the doctors to wash their hands held stocks of a soap company, or perhaps the government did not want us to know about the existence of Martians and thus discredited Chaparelli and Lowe's, canali, etc. But it is not rather our fear of the unknown and clinging to what we already know what makes it difficult to, for us to abandon all beliefs and accept the evidence? I'll give you a current example. A year ago, it was debated whether we should stop producing so much carbon dioxide, perhaps working from home, limiting air traffic, stopping certain industries, etc., What did our politician tell us then? That it was not possible, that the economy would crash, that there would be people out in the streets rioting? Well, in the U.S. there are, but not because of hurting the carbon industry. Some said that global warming was a conspiracy theory, and well, here we are, in the middle of a pandemic, doing what seemed to be impossible before. Yes, it is true that many people have lost their jobs, the economy is on the ground, but at the same time, Thanks to millions of people working from home and using less transportation methods, the earth is flourishing as it did not in a long time. I mean nature. The ozone layer has been restored and the ecosystems are healing little by little. In addition to that, 
we are learning to do things remotely, innovating to provide more home services, creating tools for social distancing and collaboration, because that's what humans do. We adapt, we create solutions and use science to overcome obstacles that we encounter. My friends, the tool to get out of the matrix is the scientific method, the same used by the Mayans in their architecture and the Incas with the cultivation techniques or the Muiscas with their goldsmithing. The same science that we can use personally to become better beings and find our own happiness. That is the path of spirituality and science. Have a good journey and a nice breeze. Thank you.